Thank you for that, Simon. Well, good morning. I'm uh, excited to be preaching this morning and uh, be here with you, Common Ground. Um, I've been having a great time going through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, I think. It's been, it's been uh, fantastic. It's been um, good for me uh, just to revisit those words, these words to live by. Uh, but um, I wanted to ask you a question as we kind of jump into the next section here of the Sermon on the Mount. We're kind of making a transition. We've been going through the Beatitudes, and now we're making, um, Jesus is going to make this transition to talk about some different things. How many of you play Monopoly? Some, yes. How many of you like to play Monopoly? Let's put it that way. Some. How many of you don't like to play Monopoly? Yeah, there's a lot of you that, about half and half. That's right. Um, so Monopoly is a great game, but have you, you know there's all these different editions of Monopoly now, right? Like all these different, there's like the millennial edition, the banking edition, all these things. There is a, an edition. Have you heard of the cheaters version of Monopoly? Have you heard of this? Look, it's, it's up here. This, this exists. Okay, so if you go down the toy aisle, like we go down the toy aisle a lot at our house, you know, when we go to Walmart or Target, wherever we go, we're down the, to- every, every, every trip is like, hey, can we go look at the toys? Okay, whatever. So we go look at the toys and the games. And I guess maybe this came out maybe a year or so ago. And um, this is a real thing, the Cheaters Edition. And as soon as it came out, my kids were like, we have to get this. We have to buy it, right? They had uh, different versions of Monopoly also. But this one, they just, why do you think this one was so, they, they wanted it so bad? What, what do you think drew them to this version and draws us to this version? I mean, it's kind of interesting. What, what, what do you think does that? It's that idea, right? We get to cheat? Like we actually are allowed to cheat. That's why any kid would want it. Uh, so when we saw it in the store, we said, okay, well, let's get it. Let's get it for them for Christmas. So we opened it up, and we played it a few times. And the kids, as soon as they open it up, they're, they're autom- we start setting it up, and they're just trying to cheat, like, all the time, like just trying to, I mean, put hotels, places, steal money from the bank, steal money from each other. It's just like this nuts, I mean, crazy, crazy thing. But when you actually look at it, you have to read the instructions, right? I started reading the instructions because there's these other, there's these cheater cards that like have ways that you can cheat. And as you start reading the instructions, yes, there are instructions to the cheater's version. There are rules to the cheater's version of Monopoly. You start seeing, you can't just do whatever you want, okay? If you've ever played it, you can't just like, you know, make up your own rules or everything. There, there are rules to the cheating version of Monopoly. They're thinking they could just cheat anarchy, right? Like in the game, it's like, you know, that's not how it works. That would be crazy. You couldn't even play that way. So there are certain ways you have to try and cheat. And if you get away with those specific ways, then you get to keep that cheat, if that makes sense. So, like, if one of the cheats is, like, you get to steal money from another player. Because, like, st- try and steal money from another player. And if you do it and don't get caught, you get to keep that money. But if you do get caught, like, there's a consequence for you. Like, they get to take some of your money or something. Like it, it ends up being like that. Uh, there's other rules, like putting your, a hotel on your property without anyone noticing, moving the different, um, you know, not going the amount, amount that you rolled, but going a different number, like cheating that way, and uh, skipping out on rent. There's some other rules like that. So, if, and so there's two things happening. You're playing the normal game, okay? You're trying to, you know, create a monopoly, right? You're trying to get properties and get money and hotels and all that kind of stuff. You're also trying to cheat, and you're also trying to catch others cheating, 
okay? Because if you catch them, you get some profit from it as well. And uh, so Monopoly Cheaters Edition is very hard to play. It becomes so much work that when the kids bring it out, me and Sarah and I, my wife, are just like, Oh my gosh, we're going to have to play this game again. It's even worse than Mono- regular Monopoly, right? They bring regular Monopoly, you're like, oh, this is going to be like a whole thing. It takes forever to set up. you got to pass all the money out. Now it's just like even more with cheaters, Monopoly. There are so many rules. It's harder to keep up with all the rules about the cheating and the not cheating than it is just to play the game. The cheating actually becomes no fun. It, d- it just becomes hard. Like you can't just do what you want. The whole point of the game, having fun while I guess cheating, gets, it gets overshadowed by all these rules about how you can and can't, can't cheat. It just like, it, it like defeats the whole purpose. Uh, you're, you're trying to like do all these things and it just makes it not fun for us, um, at least for the parents uh, going on. For the kids, that may be a different story. But in Jesus' time, the law, okay, we're talking about the law, and Jesus is moving into this this uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount where he's going to be talking about the law and these kind of rules. The Ten Commandments and the other laws that God gave the Israelites through Moses, they, it, it ends up being a similar, like, a similar function with, in this Monopoly game. And I, I want you to track with me here. The law was supposed to be good for the people of God. It was given to them as a good gift. The psalmist, when you read the Psalms, he declares that he takes delight in the law and, and meditates on it day and night. But it went from a blessing to a burden. The law was supposed to be a blessing, and, but eventually it becomes a burden to the people of God. Okay? This Monopoly game, it's supposed to be fun, right? It does not become fun. The whole aspect of the cheating is supposed to be, oh, yeah, you get to do this. It does not become fun. It actually makes it harder makes it harder to play. There are actually more rules in the cheating version of Monopoly than there are in the regular version. How does that work out, right? It's a similar thing. And we've been on this Sermon on the Mount, which is the first of five big, long discourses that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew's main message, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, his main message is that Jesus is here and he's ushering in the kingdom of God. You, you'll hear that language so much in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's talking about, it's almost like Jesus is making this announcement with the Sermon on the Mount, that the kingdom is here. And here's what life in the kingdom looks like. That's what he's going to talk about. And we've been looking at the Beatitudes. What, what does life in the kingdom look like? He's going to pivot his message to explain how the law fits into the life of the Christian. How does the law fit into the li- life in the kingdom? And he's going to take six aspects of the law here in the next section. And he's going to give six contrasts. He's going to give a proper interpretation of these laws and a false interpretation of these laws. That's what he's going to do here in this next section. And I wanted to look at, as we kind of, this, is, this sermon today is kind of an overview of what to expect over the next few weeks. And what I wanted to do is look at one aspect that he actually doesn't teach about in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's going to be helpful for us as we continue in Matthew over the next few weeks. It's going to be helpful for us as a lens through which we can try and understand what Jesus means when he says things like, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And, you know, these these words meant certain things to them. And I I want to use today to look at one aspect that he doesn't really touch on in the Sermon on the Mount, but he does in other areas. 
the law has a very interesting place in the life of, of the Bible and just of the Christian in general. And again, what I mean whenever we talk about the law is we mean the law of Moses. So the Ten Commandments and the other laws that are written about in the Torah that are given uh, by God. Let's rewind a little bit just to give us a little bit of context. The book of Exodus, in the, very, in the second book of the Bible, God gives Moses the law, okay, this good law after rescuing the Israelites from Egypt, right? The, the story of the Passover, they're, they're slaves. Moses comes in, releases the, God releases the people, all the plagues happen. He leads them out, right, Passover, all those things through the Red Sea. And then God gives Moses the law to give to the Israelites, and uh, there was a couple different purposes for the law. Uh, first, it was supposed to be a sign of their covenant. It was supposed to be um, how God's people are going to live and be set apart from the nations around them because they are going to be going to the promised land. And God is saying, you're going to be going to this place where there's all these other nations and all these other ways of thinking and all these other gods and all these other worldviews. Here's yours. And here's what's going to make you distinct. And actually, here's what's going to bring, people are going to be intrigued by the way you live. People are going to be attracted to the way you live. And then you're going to be able to share that with them. And you're going to be a light. The, uh, the, uh, um, the Bible talks about Israel being a light to the nations. And one of the hallmarks of that was the law. They were going to live differently. But another thing that was kind of a secondary aspect of the law was that the law was good for them. If they were going to live this way, they would actually live prosperous lives. It was good for them. And one of the ways they were going to be set apart, a really big way, one of the really good things that God gave to them as a law was the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is the Sabbath day. Um, I want to read from the book of Exodus first before we jump into the New Testament, before we jump into the words of Jesus. Uh, I want to read from the book of Exodus, instructions about the Sabbath. God gives them instructions. It's going to be in Exodus 31. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's also going to be up on the screen. I want, to, I want you to get a glimpse for how important this day was to the people of Israel. Let's read Exodus 31, 12 through 17. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, like, this is important, right? Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does, not work, whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days' work shall be done. But on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. The Sabbath was integral to Israel's life as people who were set apart. It is how the Lord, he says, he sanctifies them through the Sabbath. He makes them holy through the Sabbath. 
They were to do this forever. And it's not just based on something that is going on between humans, right? Like it's not just something that is based on the way humans relate to each other or anything. He bases it on something even higher. He says, the Lord, I created the world in six days and rested. And that's going to be your attitude. That's going to be, that you're going to reflect the way I did that. That's the example. That's, that's how I function. And I'm asking you to function in the same way. The Sabbath was a really big deal to the people of God, to the Jewish people. It mattered immensely to them. It was one of the hallmarks of their faith and one of the ways that they actually lived out their faith in real life, separate from other nations. This was different. It set them apart, really separately from other nations. So you have Throughout the Old Testament, the Sabbath is important, right? Above all, keep the Sabbath. Do this. This is important. Makes the, makes the top ten, right? Makes the ten, ten, makes the ten Commandments. This is an important deal. This is a big deal. So you fast forward to Jesus' time, and the Sabbath, this day, becomes a major cause of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the law. Because Jesus decides he's going to heal people on the Sabbath. That's what, that's what he decides to do. You have to understand, when you read these, these, um, these uh, stories, these historical document, right, of Jesus and him, him healing people on the Sabbath, and, and you read it, and they get, like, the Pharisees get so angry. Like, it's, it's borderline blasphemous. They get so angry. You have to understand how important this day is to them. This is one of the things that they can still do, even if they're taken over by other nations, even if they're, you know, um, right now in Jesus' time, they, you know, they don't rule themselves. They don't have a king anymore. There's a, another king ruling over them. This is something they can still do to separate themselves. It matters. It matters. It's a really, really big deal. It's a sign of the covenant between God and their people. They were to rest on the Sabbath day because God had told them to, and that was the example. They weren't to do any work. And you think, okay, well, then what constitutes his work, right? What, what is work? What is that? What counts? We do that, right? Like we read the Bible and we say, thou shalt not do this. Well, what about this? What about this? What about these things? And it's like, okay, well, what counts as work? Well, they had some help from their leaders in this. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the, the Mishnah, okay? The Mishnah is this written oral tradition by rabbis at this time, okay? One of two kind of other books that exist at the time. And it was used to interpret and make cases for how to live well, like how to interpret the law. Okay, there's a lot of stuff in here in this, this, this uh, oral tradition that was like, okay, well, this is what God meant. Rabbis would teach, and they would say, like, this is, you know, it'd be similar to sermons, the way we exposit here, but it was, it was even more important than that. It was kind of like the, one of the stanzas. Okay, so what counts as work? And in this book, um, it describes work as 39 different types of activities. Okay, so it's 40 Minus one. That's what it actually says in there. 40 minus one. And it gives 39 different kinds of activities. Things like sowing, S-O-W, okay? Sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing, winnowing, kneading, shearing wool, weaving, sewing, this time S-E-W, sewing two stitches was counted as work. Not one. I guess one wasn't counted as work, but sewing two stitches was, was, uh, was counted as work. Bunch of things like this. It goes through describing this was what is considered work. Okay, and when you read the Gospels, Jesus goes and he heals on the Sabbath, and he and he breaks kind of the traditional rules 
of abstaining from work on the Sabbath. And it's not like he just happened to come across people who, were, who needed healing. Oh, it happens to be the Sabbath. I'm just going to do it. And when you read it, it's like he deliberately waits for this day to heal people. It's like he, he waits for it. He, he goes and it's like, it's the Sabbath day. I've got to go find some people to heal. It's almost like that, uh, like, like what he does. And I want to read one of these passages in the book of Luke. Luke 13 is where we're going to be. Uh, cha- uh, starting in verse 10. And I want to look at it and, ha- and, and relate how it's going to help us to understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the next few weeks especially, how the law relates, how Jesus views the law, and what it's going ma- to help us make a little bit more sense about the rest of, of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read this, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now, when he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sound familiar to something we just read right in Exodus? There are six days that work should be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water, to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, and as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He makes some big points in here, and uh, one of the questions you may ask about the Sabbath is, could a doctor work on the Sabbath? Like, that was probably a legitimate question, right? Couldn't, couldn't a doctor work? And actually, according to tradition, contrary to what you might think, they had answered this question. Yes, a doctor could work on the Sabbath if there was imminent danger of death. So if someone was, like, about to die, a doctor could, yes, a doctor could save that person. That wasn't considered work, Okay. But for this woman who had this disabling spirit for 18 years, it seems like the ruler of the synagogue is thinking, you could have done this another day. You could have waited. You could have done this yesterday. Why did you wait until today to do it? She's not, this isn't a life-threatening thing. This has been going on forever, right? Why are you dishonoring what God has told us to do? How God has given us this law, this good law that says, you need to keep my day holy. You could have waited. This day is sacred. This day is set apart. Remember their reverence. It's a sign of the covenant. Again, this isn't a life-threatening issue. There are six other days you could have done this, Jesus. Why did you choose today? Why do you choose to do that? In fact, the Gospel of Mark, if you go read in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, uh, Jesus is doing some healings. And people bring, people actually, it says in in Mark chapter 1, that people wait 
until the sunset of the Sabbath to bring people to be healed by Jesus. They're adhering to this. They're saying, you know, like, this isn't life-threatening. We can wait until this, because this, uh, the Sabbath is so, so important to us. And that's kind of the normal interpretation. That's how, how it was. These people who needed healing, they didn't have life-threatening issues. They were willing to wait because of how important the Sabbath was to them. And we can't really see it that way because I think we're so removed from that. Like, we do every, like, we'll go out to eat after this, and, you know, there's people working, and we go do our things, and some of us will, will work after this. Some of us work on Sundays. Like, we, we don't, we, you know, we, we set our time aside, but we, we see, well, what's the big deal? They saw it as a really big deal. Like, it was very, very important to them. But Jesus doesn't have the same view on the Sabbath. In fact, four more times he'll get flack from the religious leaders for healing on the Sabbath. You can read about it. He, he, he heals four other times deliberately on the Sabbath. And none of the people he heals were in any immediate danger. Like they weren't about to die. Like it was like something that had been going on for a long time. And he decides to heal on the Sabbath. But he takes the initiative and deliberately does it. And the question is, Why? Why does he do this? And what does it have to do with the rest of the law? And what does it have to do with the rest of how we read the Sermon on the Mount? I want to hone in on the last part of the scripture we just read. In verse 15 and 16, he gives his answer. He says, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? Right? He's, he's doing this argument. If you know anything about like debate and argument, he's using, he's using the lesser and the greater argument. He's saying, you do this thing. This thing's even better. Why don't you allow this to happen? That's kind of the argument he's using. He says, you do this small thing on the Sabbath. You untie your ox. You take care of your animals. You take them. They need water. You go let them go get water. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, she is one of your people. She is in the covenant. Ought not she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Listen, you take care of your animals. That's, that's right. That's good. You should do that. So doesn't it make sense to show concern and care for a daughter of Abraham? She's been bound 18 years. And basically Jesus says, what better day to heal her than on the Sabbath day? Ought not. Some of your translations say it was necessary for him to do it on this day. He says, this is the day she should be healed. It was necessary for me to do it on this day, the Sabbath day. And the problem with the religious leader's way of thinking, and ours many times as well, we Christians do this, was that they eventually got to the point where they used the law and adherence of the law to measure righteousness, right? We do this. We, we use rules to measure how righteous we are, how, right, how unrighteous we are. And it became, it became a burden to actually keep the law. Jesus would accuse the Pharisees of putting a burden on people they, that they were supposed to be leading. He would say, you put a burden on them, you're supposed to be caring for them, but you put a burden on them that they can't even carry. And you don't even try and help them. He says, Jesus says that later in the Gospels. He would also tell the people, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he, he's talking about their way of thinking about the law the way that God has set his people apart. He's saying, beware that. Beware of how they view things. You see, the law was never meant to be a burden. The Sabbath was not to be used against people. The Sabbath is for 
people. Like it's a gift. It wasn't to be used against them. It was to be used for them. God is for his people. He gives the Sabbath as a gift to his people. And if Jesus is making this kingdom of God announcing, an announcement, he's announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. I'm ushering it in. And there's a day that we set apart in the kingdom of God. Right? It's the Sabbath day. If we set apart this day for us, for our good, what does he do it for? For them to find more work to do, right? It's like, go, go back to the Monopoly game, right? It's like, this game just provides us more work to do. It's supposed to, like, be the opposite of that because it's like the cheater's edition, but it actually is more work. There's more rules. It's harder to do, right? God doesn't set apart a day for more work or for more heavy load. It's for them to find rest, The Sabbath was set apart for them to find rest. What better day for this woman, a Jew, a daughter of Abraham, what better day for her to find rest in the kingdom of God? This Sabbath day. She should find rest on this day. We all find rest on this day. It's so ironic that the way the religious leaders viewed the Sabbath, you had to make sure that you didn't work on it. Right? Like you had to watch everything it was hard. You had to think about it. There's a bunch of stuff that you weren't supposed to do. You have to make sure you're not doing it. Make sure you're not working. You didn't accidentally work on the Sabbath. You have to keep watch your every move. Make sure you don't slip up. That doesn't sound like rest, <laughs> does it? It doesn't sound like rest. And the Sabbath day, this becomes a burden, much like the rest of the law, to the people of God. And when we get into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see Jesus make this point over and over again. In fact, six times he makes it. Um, His complaint against the Pharisees in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount isn't that they're, they're living up to the law. It's actually that they're not going far enough. They're not getting to the purpose, to the heart of the law. He'll go on to say, if we, if we just live to follow the rules, we miss the point. If you focus on the little, you miss the big. If you focus on the actions, and this is just keeping the Sabbath, and you miss why the Sabbath exists, then you miss the heart of why it exists, the reasoning behind it, the purpose behind it. Jesus, he's going to tackle some big parts of the Ten Commandments and the law. And he's going to reinterpret murder, adultery, divorce, giving oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies. He's going to talk about all these, three, these six different things. And some of them... He goes deeper than law. He says, you know, this is what it said, but actually the standard's higher for us in the kingdom of God. Other parts, he says, the law says this, but I'm going to say something different. Like, actually, I'm going to do, I think we should do away with that part. Uh, He says, the law allows it, but I don't. He's ushering in this new kingdom with this announcement, with this sermon. And his message is that the intent of the law, not just keeping the outward expression, okay, but it's the intent that really matters. Jesus' message when he talks about the law, it's not less than keeping the law, but it's actually deeper than that. It's not less than keeping these rules and keeping these laws. It's deeper than that. It's a correct attitude, not just, a correct, not just correct ceremonies and actions. Although those things are, I think those things are important. The actions, they, they matter. But even more so, it's, it's going deeper 
than that. It's why he's going to talk about making an oath. And he's going to say not to, he's saying, he's going to say not to make them, but just be honest in everything that you do. Uh, it's like the assumption behind making an oath is, well, as long as I didn't make an oath, I can go back on this. As long as I didn't make an oath, I can lie. As long as I didn't make a, an oath, I can be dishonest. He said, no, that's satanic. He says it's satanic. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. That's it. You know, the standard's higher. He's making the standard higher. He's, he's not lowering the standards. He's upping the ante. And when you enter the kingdom of God, you actually take on a higher standard of living. It can't be enforced by law, and it's not a burden. It's unlike the rules of the Pharisees. Living in this kingdom, see, the rules of the Pharisees, they weren't doable. But living in the kingdom is. You can actually follow the way of the kingdom. It's possible with the power of God, with a changed heart. And as we close, I want to ask you, where do you need Sabbath in your life? Where do you need rest? Where do you need rest? You live in the kingdom of God. It's here. Jesus has brought it. We live in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to give you rest. He wants to give you Sabbath. And it's cool. It's kind of interesting. As Christians, we live in this perpetual Sabbath. Like we're, we're always in this rest by the grace of God. It's the day of the kingdom. Every day is the day of the kingdom. Are you trying to live up to some kind of law that makes you feel more righteous, that is, feels undoable? You're trying to live up to some standard? Well, find rest. You're trying to find some kind of pleasure in some sort of sin that promises you rest, but it's actually just heaping more burden on you, right? Find real rest, true rest. Jesus says this. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Some of you know this verse. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more to carry. I'm going to give you more rules to follow. I'm going to give you a, a higher law. I'm going to give you more burden. I'm going to, my, you know, no, he doesn't say those things. He says, I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's not like, it's not heavy. It's not impossible to carry. He says, come find rest in me. Thank the Lord he doesn't heap this load on us. He doesn't require us to keep this law without empowering, giving us the power to actually live it out. With his spirit, he gives us that. He makes us alive. He, he awakens our spirit and gives us the power to actually love our enemies and to actually keep our word and, and to, uh, to have a pure heart. Where do you need rest? Where do you need Sabbath? Let's pray. We're going we're gonna, to um, close our service here in just a little bit. Let's pray. God, we, um, we need rest. I need rest. There are times where we are trying to fight battles. There are times where we are trying to do things on our own, where we think we have strength to do that. Where we um, feel like we have some kind of power. But Lord, I pray that you uh, 
show us where, where we don't, God. We really don't have the power to do these things, but you do. We can't live up to this impossible law, God. There, there are so many ways we fall short, but your grace is there for us, God. You ask us to just enter the kingdom and let you work, to let you change our hearts, to let you change our minds, God. Help us to just take the reins away and give them to you. God, for those that need to find rest, whether it's anxiety, worry, work, God, I pray that you would help them to do that. You would give them supernatural peace and rest. we, uh, We thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for providing rest for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.